When that guy shows up at the door. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. You know, the guy who burned you on that business deal. The gal who torpedoed your reputation. The one person you never thought you'd see again. He's here, and he's got some kind of letter in his hands. That was the kind of day Philemon was having when he opened the door and saw his runaway slave, Onesimus. Our lesson in Colossians will take a side trip as we get a case study of the principle that forgiven people forgive. Here's Jim. If this morning you got up with a tremendous burden upon your heart, God's Spirit had provoked you about something and convicted you about something that that had been lying back there in your history or back there in the shadows or in the closet of your mind and, and, and you really felt Boy, I'd I'd like to do something about that. Could you come to us? Would would you feel safe coming down during, after the service and saying, Pastor Jim, I want to deal with this. Would you feel safe talking to one of the elders or the deacons or their wives? Would you feel safe turning to the person next to you that you've known for years and saying, may I share with you a burden this morning? And would you pray with me? Would you feel free to do that? See, one of the reasons why our conversations are often so trite and trivial is because we really have learned not to be transparent. Would you feel safe Confessing your sin, your faults, your burdens to someone sitting in your pew this morning? Now, I know you need to be cautious about that because that person may be new in the faith. That person may themselves be troubled with that. And, of course, you take a great risk of exposure. But but as a people, as a church, is grace known as a place of grace? That's the point. Because that's exactly where the conversation moves. The apostle says that that we should be enduring each other, bearing one another, and forgiving one another. And then he gives this marvelous statement, this marvelous foundation for that. I was impressed this week as I came in to watch them. Now, you can't see them because they've covered them. But between this plank and, uh, well, here, there you can see it. Look at this. See that? That's steel. That's metal. There are huge, long metal girders that go from here back there. You could could do a lot of things on top there, and that's not even going to bounce. Because it's a firm foundation. We, We don't want anybody risking themselves either under it or on it. And so engineers and and construction people have talked and designed and worked on a pattern so that there's a firm foundation. And although although the people will be suspended, oh, maybe 10 feet into the air, the foundation upon which they stand is just as solid as this. There's no danger up there. And the foundation under which this forbearing and forgiving ministry rests is the person and character and work of Jesus. 
That's what he says. Look at it. Verse 13. Bearing one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has to complain against any, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. The foundation for my forgiving ministry isn't that I'm that kind of personality. It's, it's not that I've, that I've just gone soft or mushy. It's that I have experienced in my own life a forgiveness that takes me to a whole new level, that absolutely frees me from my own personal sense of guilt, from my own sense of being disqualified, from my own sense of being dirty, broken. And that's what Jesus Christ did for each one of us. Now, it may be that this morning you have never felt that marvelous, transforming, forgiving power of Jesus Christ. It may be that, that you, you've given Jesus some of your sins, but some of them are so bad that you're not sure he, he, he could really handle that. It may be that he has forgiven you of all your sins and, and you haven't forgiven yourself yet. I've been there. I understand that. And one, one of the problems with growing up in a, in a fine home, growing up in Sunday school, is that, that, that you develop kind of, a, kind of a sense of goodness about yourself. And some of us have learned through bitter experience that we are really sinners, too. But perhaps you as a Christian have lived much of your life and, and you've never, never experienced sin that has absolutely taken everything out from under you and made you feel absolutely, totally condemned and worthless before God and before others. But those of us who have been there and then have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ to forgive us, we're here to tell you that it doesn't matter how your sin has manifested itself. You cannot sin so badly that Jesus can't meet your need. So whatever it is that you have done, whatever it is that you do, the Lord Jesus is already predisposed. He's already preconditioned. He's already gone to the cross. He's already paid for the sin, all the sin, every part of the sin. He's already anticipated your need. He's already paid the bill. It's all paid. And he has, beyond paying the bill, he has continued to love you and to desire your fellowship and to desire to cleanse you and to desire to make you whole. That's the foundation upon which this ministry of forgiveness, upon which this experience of forgiveness in the lives of people take place. It's, I can forgive you of any sin you've committed because Jesus has forgiven me and because Jesus has also, in his same ministry of death and resurrection, he anticipated your sins. And while in, in my mind, your sin may seem more or less worse than my sins, that doesn't matter. 
Because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So what should my response be to other sinners? Well, recognize that we're all sinners. And recognize that we have this wonderful experience of God's forgiveness because of his grace. Not because we deserve it. Not because we earn it. But because of his grace. He has anticipated our sin. And he has placed his wrath and his judgment for our sin upon his son, Jesus. And Jesus, having paid the price for all my sin and all your sin, came back from the grave to give us that forgiveness and to cleanse us. That's what the verses say. Because I am forgiven, because I am cleansed, because I know what it's like to be a sinner and to be helpless, because I know that, because I've experienced that, and because I know that Jesus Christ wants to do and can do and will do the same thing for you. Therefore, sin is a matter of forgiving. You know, turn over to the book of Philemon for just a moment. You'll find it after First and Second Timothy, and then Titus, and then Philemon. It's just in front of the book of, of Hebrews. There the Apostle Paul is, is spelling out how local Christians need to respond to someone who is a sinner, someone who has grievously offended them, someone who has violated their trust. In Philemon, Paul is writing to this marvelous gentleman and talking about a man who used to be and still is Philemon's slave, his personal property. And and, and this man who was the slave, Onesimus, ran away, must have stolen some things, and ran off to Rome. And there he met Paul in prison. And Paul leads Onesimus to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Onesimus is now forgiven. He's cleansed. Well, what should happen when Onesimus goes back home? Look at Philemon, verse 10. I appeal to you, Paul writes, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my change for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntarily. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If then you count me as a partner, and that's what the Lord Jesus says to each one of us, if you count me as a partner, if you appreciate what I have done for you in your life and forgiving you, if then you count me as a partner, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. If he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay. Not to mention to you 
that you owe me even your own self besides. And he goes on to try to encourage Philemon to do the right thing. This, this must have been a, a, an unbelievable meeting when Onesimus returns from Paul with a letter from Paul and Philemon reads the letter and everybody in the group understands that Onesimus, this, this worthless thief, this man who betrayed trust, now has been forgiven. And we're to treat Onesimus as we would treat Paul. That's the spirit. That's the way Christians ought to behave in forgiving each other. Do me a favor, would you? Jesus gave us a prayer to pray. It's a model prayer. And, and he said that it's, um, it's the form which we should follow in our praying. Would, would you pray it with me this morning or say it with me? And as you do, listen for what each of us who pray this prayer is obligated to do. Think about that. Ready? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. As what? As what? Oh, ho, 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 ho. wait a minute. You see how important this is to Jesus? It's the only obligation that is implicit to those who pray that prayer. How do you want God's will to be done on heaven? Well, there's one small sphere on earth where God's will can be done on earth as it is being done in heaven, and that's in the assembly of believers. And what's happening there? They are forgiving because they are forgiven. And they understand that their relationship with God the Father and, and God the Father's ability to forgive them and his willingness to forgive them their transgressions, their debts, their sins, is predicated upon how I forgive others their transgressions, their sins. Now, forgiveness is tough work. It always carries an obligation. There's always a debt. Somebody is going to pay. Sin always does that. But when the Christian and the Christian community practice gracing others who fail, others who offend, and they respond to that offense in the character of Jesus Christ, and they forgive because they are forgiven, and they forgive in Jesus' name. Then God the Father says he will forgive us our transgressions. When you go home today, flip over to Matthew, I think it's chapter 18, and read the story there about how forgiveness needs to work. 
And that whole story about the slave who owed $12 million, forgiven, goes out and finds a fellow slave who owes him a couple hundred dollars and chokes him and won't forgive him. And when report of that got back to the king, he dealt with the unforgiving servant. And he said, Jesus said, even so your father in heaven, even so your father in heaven will not forgive you. If you refuse to forgive the small offenses and debts of other fellow servants, in light of the huge debt that God has forgiven you. Christians, we are to be the ambassadors of grace. Our lives and our conduct are to exhibit the grace of Jesus Christ. Since we have been graced by him, we are commanded to do the same to each other. Here's an old hymn, hymn 108. Listen to the words. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Isn't that a wonderful promise from God? That our forgiveness goes into the very depths of our spiritual beings and not only forgives the transactions, the deeds, but forgives the spirit and changes and cleanses the heart out of which those sins flow. Look at that second stanza. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no languor know? These, that is tears and zeal, these for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Is that sufficient, folks? Is it sufficient to come to God empty-handed and say, God, I embrace the cross. Lord Jesus, I have nothing with which to pay my sin debt. I embrace, I receive you as my sword and savior. Is that sufficient? Yes or no? Yes. And every sin in the grace of God is forgiven and cleansed. Every sin. While I draw this final breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown and behold you on your throne, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. That is, when we're transported from here to our home in heaven, he will still be sufficient. He will be resourced. He will be available for every need we have. And those awful things that he has forgiven will stay forgiven. Rock of ages, cleft for me, Lamb of God slain for me. My friend, if you do not know, if you've never experienced God's grace and love and the forgiveness of your sins, hear it clearly 
God has already paid the price for your sins because he loves you. God has already, in Jesus Christ, exercised the full wrath that you and I owe because he loves you. And because of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, God will receive you to himself and forgive you of your sin and grace your life and fill you with his righteousness. What a deal. Now, Christians, if you've experienced that, then practice that. Let God do the judging. Let God, through his wrath, uphold his law. You and I are ambassadors of the good news that God forgives sinners and welcomes them into his very special family, all because of Jesus Christ and his death. And that's what the Rock of Ages is picturing, and Clep for Me is an attempt to depict Jesus dying in your place for your sins and for mine. Father in heaven, I pray that today you would make us a community of forgiving people who are easy, gentle, full of grace, full of compassion, full of mercy, great representatives of Jesus Christ, exposing his heart in our relationships with each other and out to the world around us who are dying, who are perishing, who are languishing because they do not know and have not experienced your forgiveness of their sins and failures and your grace and your righteousness for their needs. Father, make us a forbearing and forgiving people, I pray. And for those who struggle right now in their hearts, their spirits, may they cry out to you, would you grant them forgiveness and grant us grace to embrace them and to help. Thanks for all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. Help us now to show that to others and in our relationship with one another. This we ask for Jesus' glory and honor and his pleasure. And all God's people said, now go forgive. Someone must pay for sin. The cost to replace the broken window or the broken trust or the broken life will be carried either by the person who broke it or by someone else. That's what Jesus did for us, and that's what Philemon did for Onesimus. If you'll read Colossians 4, you'll see Onesimus again. Jim has chosen to call this message, Forgiven People Forgive. If you'd like to have the talk on CD, we'll be happy to send that for a gift of $7 or more. For a donation of $59 or more, you can own the complete set of 17 CDs in our current series. It's called The People of God. Not just in summer, but especially in this season of the year, we'd appreciate it if you'd consider praying for Right Start and or supporting us financially. It's a way for you to bless many people with the truth of the Word of God. And if you're one of the ones who helped publish the program today, thank you. We couldn't do this without you. To reach us for any reason, you can mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 
1-800-984-4385 USA or call us at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. And meet us on the website, rightstartradio.org. You can click to donate securely on the site, and if you'd like to hear other sermons by Pastor Jim in their entirety, you can listen there or download them. Past radio programs are waiting for you there, and you can sign up to receive future Right Start programs in the form of the Right Start podcast on iTunes. That's all at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. What does a toaster have in common with a rose? You can ponder that riddle over the weekend, and we'll discuss it on Monday. Please meet us here then for the next Right Start. <music>